Now, Natalie hates when we go to the grocery store as a family. Just as we start, let me just tell you this. Uh, she is basically trying to grocery shop with three children for three children, and that is no easy task. And um, the worst is, for me is the cereal aisle. I feel like when I was a kid, there were however many choices there are today, there were like a third that many as a kid, you know? And so there's so many. And there's like Oreos cereal, and there's cookies cereal, and there's all the things that my kids love. And then, you know, as a parent, there's this feeling of responsibility of like, you know, it's probably best that our kids not eat cookies like in milk for breakfast as much as they would all like to. So there becomes this dance where we're trying to figure out like how much sugar is in the cereal and which one is the closest to dessert. That's the one that the boys tend to want. And then the other thing that uh, Natalie's thinking, what are the benefits of this cereal, you know, like, uh, does it have any benefits that, the older I get, the benefits of cereal matter more and more to me. And then there's the cost, I'm cheap, so I'm not so cheap, no offense to anybody, no, I'm not so cheap, but I'll eat generic cereal, can't do that yet, but, you know, if it's Post or Kellogg's, I can go either way on most, uh, most choices, and so there's that, and then there's the whole thing of the prize, you know, the prize will sucker you into buying a cereal that you hate just to get the prize. And then you get to the bottom of the box, and you're like, well, this wasn't as big as I thought it was going to be. And this was a huge disappointment. And so the cereal aisle, when all four of us go, usually ends with someone crying. And it's usually me. Uh, it's usually me thinking, God, why didn't I just watch the boys and Nat let Natalie stay at home or let Natalie go to the grocery store alone? Um, but for me, I love the cereal aisle. It's the easiest choice in the world, Raisin Bran. Raisin Bran, 100% of the time. May shaking her head, Natalie's agreeing. Natalie's sticking her tongue out like, I, it is. It's Raisin Bran or die. It's nothing else for me. Easiest choice. And here's what it comes down to. Is it Post or Kellogg's? And whichever one's cheaper, that's the one it is. Cranberries sometimes, because Natalie likes the cranberry Raisin Bran. Sometimes. If we're on a date to Wegmans, we might get cranberry Raisin Bran. For me, Poster Kellogg's, we're going with Raisin Bran. Easy decision, I, no stress on the cereal aisle. There's something beautiful about the conclusion of making that decision. I will never have to walk on the cereal aisle again and wonder, what am I going to choose? It will always be Raisin Bran. If I need a, a little extra sugar treat at night, I might grab also a box of Cinnamon Toast Crunch, the greatest cereal of all time, pound for pound. You agree? You do agree with that. It is the greatest. It's just I'm almost 42, and, like, you need the Raisin Bran, like, unfortunately, the older I get. Like, finality is nice. We love a good conclusion. I never watched an episode of Game of Thrones. It was fascinating this week to read the reviews. Some people were really mad at the end of Game of Thrones. We've watched Big Bang Theory longer than our children have been alive. I was... We didn't realize that episode 23 was the last episode. So we get to the end. We think there's going to be a 24th. We get to the end and we we're like, oh, they just juked us. Like, we didn't realize that we had seen the end. There was something nice about watching Big Bang Theory end. It was time for it, was wrapped, it, was time for it to wrap up. Finality is good. And uh, for me, I've had three really great personal conclusions. The day God called me to ministry, I was 14 years old. Settled a lot of things in my life. I never had to go to college and wonder, what am I going to do here? What am I going to study? What's going to be my major? The day that I realized I love Natalie, I can tell you exactly where I was. We were in the car on the highway. I could 
I could take you to the spot where it dawned on me that I loved her and wanted to marry her. There's no more mystery for me from that moment on. I can tell you the day, I, I couldn't tell you where we were, I can tell you the day it, it occurred to her that she loved me and wanted to spend the rest of her life with me. There was, there was a look in her eyes. I've never seen that before or since. It was powerful. Um, there was, I don't know what got said back there because of the fan, but I'm going to check the tape uh, later. Um, the day that, I, that Jesus drew me in to fully follow him and everything else was off the table was a powerful day. And there have been a couple of other times where Jesus called me deeper in my relationship with him. Carson and Scott, no one got baptized last week. There's a conclusiveness to that. It's like, I'm out following Jesus. There's no turning back now when you come up out of that water following Christ. And um, so we live in a world of indecision. We can be paralyzed by what cereal we're going to choose or what show we're going to binge watch next on Netflix or where we're going to live. All of these things we can become so indecisive about. And I love Ecclesiastes 12 because in the chapter we're going to see today, the preacher, whoever wrote it, a lot of people say Solomon, he comes to a conclusion and the book wraps up saying, in light of everything that we've experienced about having a not your average perspective, a not your average follow through, a not your average legacy, here is how you get a not your average conclusion to your perspective on life. And so um, this series has been all about like when you have it all but still long for more. And, and so we've got this guy who goes through everything trying to find meaning and say, oh, is sex the meaning of life? Oh, is money the meaning of life? Oh, is it work? Is it religion? And he comes to the end and he makes a conclusion. In light of all of his little science experiment, we're going to see what he says. So let's look at... Um, Let's look at the first eight verses, if we can, of Ecclesiastes 12 today. It says this. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come, and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. And I love this next seven verses. I just think it's beautifully written, so let me read it. Remember, he says, remember your creator before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened, and the clouds return after the rain, and the day when the keepers of the house tremble. And the strong men are bent, and the grinders cease because they're few, and those who look through the windows are dimmed. And the doors on the street are shut, when the sound of the grinding is low, and one rises up at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of song are brought low. They're afraid also of what is high, and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails, because man is going to his eternal home. And the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken, the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern. And the dust returns to the earth as it was. And the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities or smoke of smoke, mist of mist. You cannot possibly grab uh, the life that he has observed people trying to observe in this book. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, All is vanity, all is smoke, all is mist. Therefore, remember your creator. That's his conclusion to this book. You won't find hope in work. You won't find hope in relationships, stuff, pleasure, any of that. You will find hope in your creator. So before you are old, remember your creator. 
settle on a remembrance of the Creator. Davin, if you'll go to that first slide for me. So the first big idea today is this. Only the Creator can fill the longing left in us by the creation. Only the Creator can fill the longing left in us by the, crea- by the creation. Here's what happens. We tend to want good things to become ultimate things. Now, it's not that we worship like our vacation or that we worship our money or that we worship our family or that we worship whatever, but we tend to think that it's going give to give us a feeling that it cannot possibly give us. And so this is why in our culture, people climb to the top of the ladder of success and find that they lean the ladder against the wrong thing and they're miserable and they find themselves on antidepressants or worse because only the creator can fill the gap that the creation was never intended to fill in our life. When good created things become ultimate things, trouble always ensues. That's idolatry. When I counsel married couples, I will always say, they'll say, man, we just need to grow closer together. And I say, no, you need to grow closer to Jesus. Because if you both get closer to Jesus, you will get closer together. The problem becomes, when we get closer together, that's idolatry. Whenever we try to draw our heart near to something or someone other than Jesus, that is always idolatry. And that always ends in trouble. Only the, cre- only the Creator can fill the longing the Creator leaves us with every time. And so Ecclesiastes is essentially the preacher trying to draw near and find meaning in created things. And he looked for meaning in five things. You don't have to write these down, but I'll tell you what they were. Had we gone verse by verse through this book, you would have seen him saying, trying to find meaning in pleasure. In chapter 2, he does this. In chapter 9, he hones in on this idea that pleasure, sex, relationships, all of those things will find meaning. The second thing he talks about in chapter 2 and in chapter 5, stuff. Finding meaning in stuff and in money and get, 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 get. Like if I can just get one more dollar, one more raise, then I'll sleep well at night. And he says that's meaningless, that's vanity, it's smoke, you can't grab that. The third thing he he tries to find um, meaning in is knowledge. I've got a buddy, Matt, who got his Ph.D., He worked for years. All he ever wanted was a PhD. He always felt like he wasn't smart enough. And and he told me, he said, the day he got his PhD, he took that certificate home, and they were having a party, and he looked at it, and it felt completely meaningless. And he said he set it under the coffee table. He was thankful he had finished, but it didn't provide the feeling he had been told all his life it was going to provide. Knowledge can't do it. It can't do it. The fourth thing that preacher talks about is work, finding meaning in our toil. And we work and we try to climb this ladder to management or CEO or CFO or whatever it is. He says you, it will not provide meaning. And the fifth one he talks about in chapter 5 is religion. And trying to find uh, in, in religion and working our way to God meaning. He says you, you can't find it. I was talking with a friend this week. He said he, uh, he's got kids and he said he, had, he took a book. literally the book is called A Thousand Religions and he takes this book of A Thousand Religions and he hands it to his kids and he says you guys pick one and whatever you pick 
we'll do as a family. We, he said, we're open to this conversation as a family. And he said his kids picked Buddhism, and he told them, try again. That wasn't the one that they were going to do living here in Charlestown. Like, we will not find meaning in religion if religion is defined as trying to do something to work our way to God being happy with us. The preacher says you won't get it. You won't get it. Only the creator can fill a longing that the creator leaves us with every time. These things were meant to be means, not ends. When I held my sons at the hospital for the first time and looked at them, that wasn't an end. That was a means to turn back and worship God. When I have success at my job of being a pastor and, man, like that feeling of pulling you guys up out of the water last week, that's not an end. That's a means to remind me, J.D., you didn't do this. This was all Jesus working in these people's lives. If I get a pay raise, that's not, um, that's not, an, that's not an end. That's a means to remind me that God takes care of me and my family. All these things are means to point us to God. In Boston, we can tend to think that innovation is an end or our history is an end or religion or education are ends. And they're not ends, they're means. We can tend to think that our sports teams are ends. It's fun having people from the South here because they always tell us how much they hate the Patriots and we just laugh like they hate the Patriots because we win all the time, you know. That's what habits comes with living here. Those are, but those are not ends. They're means to joy that God gives us in Christ. The second thing that happens, let me read, um, if you still got your Bible open, let's look at verses 9 and 10. And uh, Davin, if you'll go to that next point for me, if you don't mind. It says in 9 and 10, besides being wise, the preacher also taught. Now, so for the first time in this book, everything from 1-1 to 12-8 is the preacher talking. And now it's someone giving a synopsis. It's maybe the person writing it down. And he says this, besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote the words of truth. This guy writes down all of this stuff for us to help us understand that we will not find peace and soul peace in created things. So here's the thing. The preacher experienced, he tried everything he tells us. Hey guys, I tried relationships. You won't find meaning. I'm the richest person on planet earth. Won't bring you meaning. Nobody's wiser than me on earth. Won't bring you meaning. I tried to know everything there was to know about God, but I didn't know God won't bring you meaning. The preacher experiences and even articulates our dilemma, but the preacher can't solve it. The preacher can't solve our human dilemma. He cannot free us from our dilemma. And here's our dilemma. He says it over and over and over, 40-something times, I believe. Vanity of vanities. Everything is vanity. I tried it. Vanity of vanities. Like grabbing smoke, like grabbing mist. You grab at it and it doesn't satisfy. Vanity of vanities. Everything is vanity. He sought to find words of delight. He wrote this stuff down, but he could not set people free from it. All he could do was explain where it would end up. Uh, My mom, oh, let me back up. There are two, I got to tell you a great illustration. Is my mom in here or is she downstairs? Good, I can talk about it. I can can admit my mom is right here in just a moment. She not be here to remember it. In life, there are two great teachers, wisdom and consequence. In life, there are two great teachers, wisdom and consequence. 
Wisdom is the ability to learn something without having to suffer the problems that come with it. Consequence is what happens when we don't learn by wisdom. And uh, most people, unfortunately, we tend to like to learn by consequence. We don't like to learn by wisdom. We want to experience, and then we end up with heartache or empty bank accounts or frustration or wasted years. And so the preacher's fate was to experience the consequence of climbing the, climbing the ladder, climbing the ladder, and finding it not satisfying. And so he's written this book to give us wisdom, to say, learn from me, learn from me, I'll teach you. My mom, when I was a kid, would always say, don't put your hand on the stove. But it was glowing orange. It was so inviting. That suit, you know, that, that orange uh, color that is on the stove, it's a beautiful, like, it beckons, it, it beckons you to touch it. And so as a kid, I remember, and I'm, I'm small enough that I've got to do this number. Like, I've got to get up like this. I put my hand on that stove and burn. Now, wisdom would have said, you know what? My mom's taller than me. She's smarter than me. She's older than me. I don't have to do that. But I chose instead to live by consequence. And my mom in love put ice on it. She came and put me on her lap and just held me and it's going to be okay. You know, I'm crying. She's rubbing my back and my hair. That's what grace does. But the better grace is to trust God and learn by wisdom instead and not by consequence. The preacher experiences this stuff. He puts his hand on the stove of life and meaning and says it burns. It will not provide. It doesn't grab at you. It won't provide what you want it to but he can't set us free, which leads to the third thing, Gavin, if you'll go to that. And this is the gospel. Only Jesus frees us from humanity's dilemma. Only Jesus is going to free us. Only Jesus can set us free from this stuff. Let me read to you 11 and 12. The words of the wise are like goads. Now, a goad is a stick with a nail in the end of it that you use to hit cattle in the rump when it's not cooperating to get it to go where you need it to go. Uh, it's, it's a way that you heard by, um, by pressure. And so it says, The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are collected sayings. And I love this. It says, They're given by one shepherd. A couple of times in the Old Testament, it happens here and it happens in Ezekiel, the writers of the Old Testament were saying, There's one shepherd, and they're referring to God. And, uh, and how he is the shepherd who will give meaning and purpose and direction and safety and everything we need in life. It says in verse 12, My son, beware of anything beyond these, of making many books there's no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. Only Jesus frees people from our human dilemma. And so I've got a couple things I want to share. If you'll pull up the first verse here, uh, and this will be five slides, Devin. Jesus is our wisdom. This whole book about, has been about finding wisdom. Jesus is our wisdom. Let me read to you 1 Corinthians 1, verses 21 through 25. It says this, For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Keep going, if you will. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, or Jews and unbelieving uh, Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Keep going, if you will. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. Keep going. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. Last one. But for since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly 
of what we preach to save those who believe. That may have gone backwards. I may have, have had those out of order. Sorry. Jesus is our wisdom. Second thing I want us to see, if you don't mind going to it, Davin, is that Jesus is the one great shepherd. Let's look at, um, if you'll go to the one in John. John 10 says this in John 10, 14 through 16. It's, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Jesus is a good shepherd. He frees us from humanity's dilemma. He is the one shepherd that Ecclesiastes 12 is talking about. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Now, I love this next verse, 16. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they'll listen to my voice. So there'll be one flock and one shepherd. It was rooted in the Old Testament, and Jesus says, Hey, the, the one shepherd that the preacher and Ezekiel and all the Old Testament prophets were saying that God would be the one shepherd. Jesus says, I am the one shepherd. I'm the one shepherd. I am good and I will free you and protect you and feed you and nourish you. And so the third thing, Jesus gives meaning and proper enjoyment to the best life. Devin, we're going to go one by, one by one through those next couple of slides here if we can. And so Ecclesiastes... The preacher says, I look for meaning and pleasure. Let me show you what John 10.10 says. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. The deepest, most meaningful life is found in Jesus. What the preacher was looking for hundreds of years before Jesus can only be experienced in Jesus. If you go to the next slide, Davin. The, the preacher says, I went looking for meaning in stuff. Jesus says this in Matthew 6.33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things, all the stuff of earth, the clothes, the food, the water will be added to you. Jesus is our provision of everything we need materially. He promises if we seek him and put him first, he'll meet our needs. If you'll go to the next one for me, Davin. The preacher says, I went looking for knowledge. Uh, 1 Corinthians 2.16 says this. This is Paul writing. He said, Who has understood the mind of the Lord to instruct, to instruct God? Who gets God's mind so to teach, to teach people? It says, But we have the mind of Christ. We don't have to go looking to read a thousand books a year. Beth Barron and I try to read. I, I keep up with Beth. She's a great Instagram follower. She's a prolific reader. Reads about a book a week. And that's usually a goal of mine for the year, to read at least 52 books a year. So I appreciate that. But there's something hidden in Christ that we will not find if we read every book in every library that's ever been written and published. The wisest man I've ever met is a guy named Ed Cerny. Genuinely, he, he coached me as a church planner 10 years ago. He never planted a church. But this man is so wise, there's nothing that... Um, that I ever have needed to know in ministry that Ed didn't sort of just have down in his soul. And I remember sometimes when Ed was coaching me saying, we would get to an impasse and I would say, Ed, I need you to give me some wisdom on this. And he would say, JD, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to tell you right now. We'd be on a, a phone call. He would say, can we just stop and pray? And he would say something like this, Father, I thank you that in Christ, we have the mind of Christ. So we're not even sure what to do right now in this situation. But will you tell us what to do? And we know that you're living in us by your Holy Spirit. Help us know what to do. And God would always faithfully lead us down the exact way that we needed to go. So the search for knowledge is met in Jesus because we have 
the mind of Christ. And then he, sa- he tries to find meaning of work. Gavin, if you'll go to this next one, and this will be the one that will be three slides in Matthew 11. You got it. He says he tried to find meaning in work. Jesus says this, take my yoke on, or if you'll go back one, I think. Yeah. Oh, I must have left one out. Let me just read it. That's on me. You got it. <clears throat> Matthew 11, 28. Come to me, everybody who labors, who works, and who are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Carla is a school teacher. You get to the end of the school year. Carla had pneumonia last weekend. Still, have. still has it. Don't, don't hug Carla. And um, just kidding. Um, Last Sunday, she couldn't be here. She had pneumonia. But the big school art show was Wednesday night at Brewer's Fork. And so Monday, I look in that we're dropping Owen off. And here's Carla working away in her art class. We said, why aren't you at home resting? She says, the art show's this week. I've got to work. I can't not be here this week. Jesus says, if you've worked hard and you are tired, come to me. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm gentle and lowly in heart. And you'll find rest for your souls. And I love this next verse. Dad, if we go one more. It's a little slow on the transition. For my yoke is easy and my burden's light. We won't find meaning in work. I've talked to friends here in Charlestown. I talked to a friend the other day. He said he worked 120 hours a week for the last few months. Just saying that, like, makes my shoulders tense up. Does it do that to you? Like, whew. Jesus will provide rest. And we still work. We don't just get to quit. But there's meaning in Jesus and not in work. And then the last one, religion versus relationship with God. I think we've got one slide here, Davin, if you've got it there. I think I put it in. Yeah. It's one of the most powerful verses I've ever read in my entire life. Um, John 14, 20. On that day, you'll realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. And we get so busy thinking, God, if I just pray more, if I just read my Bible more, if I just go to church more, if I just say whatever. And Jesus would say, all along, didn't you realize that you were swallowed up in me and I was swallowed up in the Father and the Holy Spirit was swallowed up in you and you couldn't have been more secure and you were trying to do and I'd already accomplished everything that you were trying to do. Jesus gives meaning and proper enjoyment to the best of life. Let me read you the last couple of verses of uh, Ecclesiastes, verses 13 and 14. This is how the book ends. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of humanity. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. The end of the matter, he would say, here's the book of Ecclesiastes. Fear God. Fear God. Awe him, revere him, worship him. Worship His love, worship His grace, worship His mercy. He is all those things. But also worship His holiness, worship His justice, His power, His wrath. Those are His traits as well. And we need to have a healthy fear of Him uh, and keep His commandments, it says. Fear God and keep His commandments. Trust God and obey God. Everything under the sun is smoke. Ultimately, it disappoints. It feels average. This is the plight of everybody, whether we speak it or not. Whether we speak it or not. You know, we go to a concert or we go to a sporting event or we post a thing on Instagram and we, you know, we snap our photo and we smile, look happy. 
How many times in our life have we put that thing down, posted it, and thought, well, that didn't bring as much joy as I just made it look like it did on Instagram? It can't. It can't smoke. But trusting Jesus, here's the thing, everything under the sun is smoke and vanity. So Jesus says, well, let's not just be desperate, depressed people. Let's lift our perspective to above the sun. And every day we start our day saying, God, you've given me another day. And today I'm not going to try to grab at something that's not going to fulfill. Rather, I'm going to fix my eyes on you, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all this other stuff will be added. Trusting Jesus shifts our perspective to above the sun and then keeps everything in its proper place. And that's true for my friend who said he was looking through the book of a thousand religions for the one that was going to work for their family. It's only Jesus. It's true for my friend in this neighborhood who told me uh, a year ago, he said, man, I've got a beautiful wife, beautiful kids, home. We take vacations. I make a lot of money. we got a nice house in Charlestown. He, and he goes, that's it, right? That's all there is, right? That's the meaning of life, right? The meaning of life is not found for him under the sun. It's found above the sun. That's true for my friend here in Charlestown who was burned by religion over and over and over as a young person and now can't conceive of coming back to church and we continually, I continually pray for her. God, I pray she doesn't find church. I pray she meets you and you change her life and her destiny. Trusting Jesus, shifting our perspective above the sun gives everything meaning in life. I love the photos of you and you and Owen coming out of the water uh, last Sunday. We'll play the photos here in a minute um, on a loop. It's just so good to see that when we get the one thing right, everything else finds its proper place, and we know it. We know it in our soul. Uh, If you'll go to, yeah, here it is. Fear God and you have nothing else to fear. Fear God and you have nothing else to fear. It's not being afraid of God. It's understanding that God is a lion. And if you're standing beside the lion and the lion is protecting you, then you're perfectly safe. But if you're outside the protection of the lion and the lion sees you as its enemy, you're in a lot of danger. Now in Christ, we're never God's enemy. But there are times we wander away from God's protection. And the Lord is a lion. The Lord is a consuming fire, Deuteronomy and Hebrews tell us. We want to be under his protection. Fear God and you have nothing else to fear. I can't tell you in my life how much time I've wasted being afraid of things that ought not to have caused me any fear if I had understood properly that God was the only one that I needed to give my worship and awe and reverence to. Let me pray for us real quick and then we'll receive communion.